This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. Rain out. Rainout's the nothing personal word of the day. It's Friday, TGIF. That never gets tiring. Thank God it's Friday. Rainout, it's April 7th, 2023. Can you imagine if you're getting ready for a live episode of Nothing Personal? You know it's coming Monday to Friday. And on Wednesday, we just say, you know what? Tomorrow there's no show. How come there's no show? Because we think that we're not going to have anything to talk about. There's going to be no content, no topics, no chance, no show. And then all of a sudden news breaks after we make that announcement. And it's the biggest story of the year in sports, whatever it is. Lamar Jackson signs an extension. NBA players go on strike before playoffs, whatever it is. And then the next day comes, no show. And everyone's looking around like, why is there no show? Rain out. The New York Mets and a bunch of other teams, the Orioles too, but I got to focus on the Mets because I'm here in New York. Two days ago, Marlins come to town. They're ready to play the home opener for the Mets on a great Thursday afternoon. There's a storm coming of sorts. It's going to be 80 and rainy, like pouring buckets of rain. And they decide to postpone the game on Wednesday. And then Thursday comes and the damn storm moves a little bit south, a little bit east, a little bit north, a little bit west. Who gives a crap which way it moved? It was perfect yesterday. It put the P in outstanding. It put the P in perfect. There is no P in outstanding. Why did this happen? So here you go. When you have a one o'clock game, people are saying, why couldn't they decide then? Why can't you wake up in the morning, see whether or not the weather is going to be bad, and then make the call at 8 or 9 a.m.? For a 1 p.m. game, game day employees are checking in anywhere between five and three hours before the game starts. They are leaving their homes, they're getting on the subway, they're getting in their cars. And when you have a sold out city field, you've got thousands of people between concessionaires and ushers and police, uh, fire, all the game day employees, all the operations employees, all the people in the clubhouse, all the team buses, the first team bus is going to the ballpark for a one o'clock game. It's going to leave at nine, 8.30 or nine. And what the union has been pretty clear about over the years is they would like the team to do a better job of dealing with postponements. Scheduling for players has become a thing. 
They want afternoon games when they're traveling. Last day of a, of a, of a series, you're seeing way more afternoon games because they claim they don't like getting into cities at two or three in the morning. That was part of my life for 18 years. The players didn't care. They were wide awake. We were wide awake. Room services available. We'd find a place or they'd find a place to go out. It was never a problem. You sleep till noon the next day. You play a night game. There would be complaints if you have a day game after a night game and everyone's so tired. And now that's a normal thing. So MLB in consultation, the way rainouts work is that you call someone in MLB. It used to be, rest in peace, someone named Katie Feeney. You pick up the phone and you call and you say, hey, we need to talk about the cancellation or the postponement of a game and then how to reschedule it. Any game of a series that is not the final game of a series is in control of the home team. The final game of a series is in control of the umpires who consult with the home team before deciding what to do. And the final series between two teams is also in control of umpires. But umpires talk to the home team. They talk to the visiting team. They talk to the to Major League Baseball, to people in the commissioner's office. It is not as though I would decide at pro player stadium, hey, we're postponing the game without calling anybody. Because then you have to get the player reps involved for rescheduling of games. And I would spend plenty of time negotiating with our own player reps because they would want to push the game all the way to September and we would have to say, hey, you're going to want off days in September. We need off days in September. But like anybody with work, you'd rather work more later and less now. I was never like that. I always liked getting everything out of the way so I could party with total freedom in my brain. But there are some people who try to get everything done at the last minute. I would procrastinate on long-term assignments, actually. If you have four months to do a term paper, I'll start doing it You know, two weeks before. But when it comes to baseball games, I want to play as many games as possible in the beginning of the season, hoping that uh, the end of the season, when we'll need the rest, we can get rest. So the Mets and MLB are speaking to one another yesterday, on Wednesday, and they say it's in our best interest to make the call. Let's do it. Then they wake up, they see the weather's fine, and they are despondent. Less so for opening day because today was an off day for the Mets and the Marlins, which is what teams do without a roof is they schedule their home opener and then an off day the next day. And the reason they do that is during the season when there's a rainout, unless you're a team that sells out your games and there are not many, maybe one or two of those teams, when you hold tickets to a game that's been rained out, you have the right to exchange those tickets to any game for the rest of the season. Some teams black out a few games. If it's the Marlins, you can exchange for any game, except we would always say when we're playing the Yankees, because we want people to buy separate tickets for that, uh, because that's a way to get more revenue. When a team has a sold out game, the rule of thumb is that you cannot offer them tickets to any other game. And if they all take their rainy day tickets, which means the same ticket, and the game is played the next day, and there's other people who have tickets to the game, then there clearly wouldn't be enough room for all the people from the sold-out game to go to the next game where there's already a crowd of people. So that's why you try to schedule for an off day, and you keep the off day, because opening day has all of these great parts to it, from flyovers and sellouts, et cetera. So that's why when the schedule comes out, it's always off day after home opener. 
Is there an issue or an example where a team would call for a weather delay and it turns out that it wasn't required? That happens in the South. It can happen in the North with something called a hurricane. You look at a hurricane track, you work with baseball and you figure out, hey, we're in the path of a hurricane. There's a hurricane watch that's going to a hurricane warning. There's no way we can schedule a game because the assets required to put on a game need to be spent in other ways. They need to be it's really police and fire. They need to be available to do other things in the community, not participate in the game. And so that's when in advance you would postpone a game. And then if the hurricane misses, the hurricane misses, you move on, you've rescheduled the games, no problem. When it comes to a rain event, the reason why you don't want to postpone early is because in every other instance, it's not necessary to. But now players are so sensitive about being inconvenienced, yet the Marlins get stuck in New York. They had nothing. I guess they had a glorious day. They could have gone to Central Park. The Mets fans had to change all of their plans. Who They were going to miss work on a Thursday, whatever they were going to do. Then they have to move it all to a Friday. And then they get the bad PR of being annoyed because the weather was so good. But the decision was a pretty simple one by baseball, and they did it across very many different games. I just found it objectionable. The Mets canceled, the Phillies canceled, the Orioles canceled, the Twins canceled. How many of those games could have happened? I ask you. But it's the home opener for the Mets today. You got to be excited if you're a Mets fan. Mets are in a great position right now. Nobody's hurt. They have plenty of catching, plenty of pitching. Their offense is firing on all cylinders. Thank God they've got the Marlins coming to town. All right, there's something going on, and Coke and I have made a decision that we're announcing right now, nine minutes into the final show of this first week of April. After today, we are making a commitment to you, the audience, that we are not going to discuss time of game anymore. Hey, this is amazing. The number of games below three hours is 10 times more than it was last year. There's only 20 games out of 92 that have been above three hours. And the average game time is 238 down from 306. Hallelujah. Great job, Theo. This is amazing. I grant you this is exciting. I'm very happy. I'm actually, let me, let me give you the truth about what I am. That's what I do. I'm pissed. Where was this when I was in the game? Come on. But anyway, everyone's talking about the pace of game, the pitch clock, the violations, lead off every show. This guy got ejected. That guy got ejected. This guy was in violation. Otani got a violation for pitching, for hitting. People are pissed. No more. There's no reason to talk about it. There's too many other cool things going on regarding the new rules, regarding the competitive nature of the games, regarding the crispness of the games, the action in the games. For years, I've been calling a pace of action, not pace of play. I don't care about the game times. I want to know that there's more stuff happening. However, there is one part of the shortened games that deserves attention because in record fashion, the number of you who have asked a question about this topic is one of the most asked questions we've had. Very bizarre that you're thinking this way, but I love it because you're focused on business. Here was the question. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. 
Get my Twitter, David P. Sampson. Ask me a question. Hey, Zach, this one is from you, but myriad people ask the same question. Hello, David. Question for you about revenue in relation to the new baseball changes. With the games being so much shorter, how is this affecting revenue from concessions and alcohol sales? Do you anticipate the costs of concessions to go up to make up for the lack of volume? What would you have done in Miami? Thank you, signed Zach. Well, thank you. So let me give you the math here. We calculate what a per cap is for everybody who goes through the turnstile. Per cap equals the amount they've paid for their ticket plus the amount of money they spend from the minute they walk through the turnstile to the minute they leave the turnstile. And then on top of that, we add anything bought that we control outside the stadium. That would be parking if we control that revenue. That would be a team store that's located outside of the ballpark. Anything that is purchased by a person, and then you divide the total revenue that you get, divided by the number of people through the turnstile, not paid attendance. I don't really care about paid attendance, as I told you in yesterday's TikTok. You make up paid attendance. It doesn't matter. It's number of people in turnstile is where you get your per cap from. Total revenue from a game counts people who buy tickets to a game and don't show. But if you think about it, if you buy a $20 ticket and don't show, your total spend is $20. If the same person buys a $20 ticket and does show up and they buy a soda for five bucks, they've spent $25. So you've got $45 over two people. That's a per cap of $22.30. So when you calculate the per cap, you are including concessions. The overwhelming majority of concession spending happens in the first hour post turnstile. It is not a linear equation. You don't take 180 minutes of a game, let's say it's three hours, and if someone spends $18, they're not spending $1 every 10 minutes for 180 minutes. People walk through the turnstile, they walk around the park, they go to their seat, and then they look around, they go back up, they stop at the concession stand, they spend the money on the beer, the hot dog, the peanuts, the cupcakes, whatever they're gonna buy, go back to chicken tenders, go back to their seats, eat. Then four days later, the kid will complain or the adult will say, all right, I'll have something else. Maybe they'll do a cotton candy, maybe they'll do another beer, but it is rare that people go to the ballpark and buy two sets of meals. And the first set of meals is always done in the first hour of the game. And when I say always, of course, I don't mean 100%, so don't argue with me. The overwhelming majority of the per cap of a person is done in the first hour. So the impact in revenue is actually de minimis. Is it true that alcohol is available for seven innings. And if seven innings takes two and a half hours in the old days, and now it takes one and a half hours, you're actually missing an hour of beer sales. That part is true. Do we have the ability to raise prices to make up for that revenue? Spoiler alert, we already charge you the most we can from the studies we do that make it so you'll still buy what we're selling without getting too pissed off and not buying anything. So if there's an opportunity to increase the cost of beer, we're doing it not because there's fewer hours to sell the beer, but because we can charge you more for the beers we sell in the first hour of the game. That goes for hot dogs, hamburgers, every concession in the entire ballpark. There is a study done. I wanted to do dynamic pricing for concessions. 
And I did not get a lot of love for that. Dynamic pricing for concessions means that at the end of the game, when you're going to have to throw away the food, when in fact you have food left over that's already made, why not lower the price on it to get it moved? And what was always told to me is, hey, but people will wait then for the price to go down. And I would say that's true, but like with StubHub or every place you get tickets, I don't know if you knew this, but if you want to get tickets for the cheapest possible price point, you have to wait until the last possible moment. And the risk tolerance for the majority of people is not that they're willing to wait for the final moment because they have to make plans, they have to get babysitters, sometimes they have to travel, and they don't wanna do all those things without having a ticket. The overwhelming majority of people don't wanna do that, which is why you charge more for your tickets early so that people who wanna have the tickets, make the plans, know that what they're doing, they spend that extra money. It's the same with food. Generally for a 640 game or a seven o'clock game, it's dinner time. People wanna come, they wanna eat. They don't wanna wait till nine o'clock to get food because then they're out the door. They have to eat it quickly. They're going to bed soon. They've got a full stomach, indigestion, can't sleep through the night. All of these reasons why you try not to eat late at night. So my view was do the concession price, do the dynamic concession pricing, just so we can get rid of the food because getting $2 for the last hockey puck that we sell is better than getting $0 for the hockey puck that we give away or, or even worse that we throw away. But that did not catch on. I'm not exactly sure why. But in terms of maximizing revenue, if you're asking me what I would have done in Miami, I tell you what everybody else does. I'm charging you the maximum I can whenever I can. So I do not believe the concessions will go up because game times are going down. I do not believe that anybody is doing anything other than maximizing their concession revenue regardless of game time. However, that does not mean that teams are not going around their ballpark every day, which they are, looking at different possibilities to increase their game revenue, thereby increasing both the per cap and also increasing the non attendance related revenue. Non-attendance related revenue is revenue that a team derives regardless of the number of people in the ballpark. An outfield wall sign, not attendance related revenue. Your local TV deal, not attendance related revenue. Behind the plate signage, not attendance related revenue. You figure out the difference. Number of beers sold, attendance related revenue. Teams are still trying to make up from COVID. They're trying to make up the dollars lost, the revenue lost. They're trying to make up for the fact that salaries are up. So teams are looking at new ways. We told you what the Marlins did with the big ADT patch. And lest you think it's only small market teams who are doing it, the Mets announced this deal with Columbia Presbyterian for their uniform patch. Look at that monstrosity. You all complained if you're watching this on Nothing Person with David Sampson YouTube channel live. You're seeing what we're showing you. I don't know who number 20 is. Is that a model? Is that a mannequin? I do not know. I used to know all the numbers. I used to know the names of every ballpark, the names of every coach, every GM. I think I could still do that. Every manager. I don't know who wears 20 for the Mets, Coco. Do you? I bet you do. Is it Alonzo? There you go. That's definitely not Pete Alonzo. That is way too small to be Pete Alonzo. So I assume that that is a mannequin. But look at the size of that Columbia Presbyterian patch. Let me see if I can make that even bigger. What does that look like? Oh, it says New York Presbyterian. Maybe that's not, is that different than Columbia Presbyterian? Anyway, doesn't much matter to me. What matters to me is that's a way for the Mets to make money. Now, let me ask you this. 
Do you think the Mets get more money for the New York Presbyterian patch than they do than the Marlins get for the ADT patch? Regardless that the Marlins rang the bell on the stock exchange and all of the great diversity at the top of the Marlins franchise with a woman president and a woman GM and the fact that ADT is a Florida company and everyone's great. You think they're paying the Marlins what Presbyterian's paying the Mets? Just asking. I'm going to tell you that's a hard no. So the jersey patches, the helmet patches, all extra revenue that's coming to MLB and coming to teams, that gets added up because you add up all the 30-team revenue plus the national revenue, and that's where you get the, the stat that you read that MLB hit $11 billion in revenue. That's adding up all the revenue from all the teams. That is creating an even bigger revenue disparity between the haves and the have-nots. So what do you do about that? Same thing that people try to do in the country when there's haves and have-nots. You try to take from the haves, give to the have-nots, and try to level the playing field. In fact, all you're doing is making more haves, more have-nots, and people in the middle are getting screwed. That's really sort of like baseball. Having a middle payroll is a bad plan, and there's a lot of teams in the middle, and they're going to find that that's a bad plan. So MLB has a decision to make as it relates to another form of revenue, and that is the pitch clock revenue. Take a look at that pitch clock in the background where it counts down in between innings, and then it's the 20-second clock with a runner on base, then it's the 15-second clock with no runners on base, and then it's eight seconds the batter has to be ready. Guess what you're not seeing in any of these photos? A sponsor. I am telling you right now, an official wait to see. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen when it does great, when it doesn't fine, but here it is. Wait to see. There will be sponsors of pitch clocks and it's coming this season, but it's going to be a national sponsor. MLB cannot afford to have another revenue stream where the difference between the pitch clock deal in New York and the pitch clock deal in Miami or Cincinnati is so great that it causes an even greater disparity in team revenues, therefore in team payrolls. This is an opportunity. It's like a but for. We want to, as a league, reward creativity. Anybody who's, who runs a business, you want to reward people who find new ways to exploit customers to increase revenue. Any point of revenue inside a ballpark that is unique to the ballpark, anything that a team does to try to increase ticket sales, increase gate revenue, any sort of deal they do, four for 44 on Fridays, kids get in free, you know, military Mondays, you know this person, you know that person, buy one, get one free, go to Costco, get two tickets. All of those are individual teams doing individual things in their individual market, and they get rewarded for doing that because it's their revenue. The number of teams who would have a pitch clock, but for the rule in baseball that there's a pitch clock, wait for it, zero. Pitch clock is an industry-wide initiative, and my argument to the teams, if I am Rob Manfred or Noah Garden, is you don't have that revenue behind your plate other than for the reason that we have a pitch clock in baseball. It is not right that that would be a source of revenue that is local. 
We are making that a national deal. We are going to split that 30 ways. And a company is going to come in and sponsor the whole damn thing. And then we will make it so that everyone splits it. Then the Yankees will stand up and say, but that's not fair. We deserve to get more of that money. Our expenses are higher. We're in New York. Our, our cost basis is higher for new owners of teams. Why should we split it with small market teams? So here's how MLB deals with that. The same way they dealt with the StubHub deal. They do a national deal, but as a component of the national deal, there is a local component for extra signage or an extra giveaway. So let's say that Rolex sponsors the pitch clock. It's not gonna be Rolex, but just say it is. Rolex will do a deal of blank million per year, 20 million per year, 50 million per year for the whole league, 100 million per year, whatever the case is, they will then get their name on every pitch clock. But part of that will go toward local activation. And the local activation money is not split 30 ways. It is not divided equally. And the large revenue, large market teams get a disproportionate amount of that quote unquote extra expense from the sponsor that's supposed to go to the teams and supposed to be split evenly. It is a major bone of contention. It made me absolutely furious when national deals would happen and there'd be local components because we never got the advantage in Miami of getting even a proper one thirtieth share because it would be allocated in such a unfair way. I'm not sure I could say that anymore given the Lone Depot situation and how that naming rights deal happened, but I'm not there so I can still say it. So wait to see, there will be a national deal for pitch clock. If there is not, and this is not me giving you a caveat or me trying to have it both ways, but if the pitch clock deals end up being local, that is yet another sign of the discontent between owners and a red flag that we could be heading toward labor trouble. Just keep that in mind. All right, when we come back, we're gonna review a series that I watched with Eugene Levy. And then we're gonna talk about some teams that are having issues with their public governmental partners as it relates to stadiums and other events. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for being a part of Nothing Personal. We're here every day live, 8 a.m. 
Join us on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Listen to the podcast, which is this, just in audio form. So you can't see the blazer. You can't see the face. You can't see the general gesticulations. You're just hearing the dulcet tones that on a Friday are a little bit deeper. And the whiskers are a little bit longer. Has anyone figured out the shaving situation yet? Yes, I'm a Sunday shaver. Once a week, and then I let it grow the rest of the week. All right. Here's what I'm reviewing. A great movie with Kim Cattrall and Andrew McCarthy called Mannequin. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not reviewing that. I did enjoy that movie. That was sort of the pre-Lars pre and the Real Girl type of thing, or Brian and Charles. Kim Cattrall, yes, yes, yes. All right, The Reluctant Traveler with Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy is Dan Levy's father. Eugene Levy from, that's not how he should be known. You know what? I don't even want that on the air, Coca. Ready for the for the uh, audio because we're live. We can't change it. But four, eight, sixty nine. Eugene Levy is the famous actor from Splash, Second City comedian. He has been in thirty movies that are nothing but perfection. And on top, planes, trains, and automobiles. And on, no, that's Steve Martin and John Candy. He wasn't in that. Maybe he wasn't that. I am totally blanking. Eugene Levy has been in movies that make me smile from top to bottom. He is also the father of Dan Levy. And they were in a show called Schitt's Creek. So more and more people know who he is, more and more young people. He did a reality show called The Reluctant Traveler with Eugene Levy, where he traveled to Finland and Costa Rica and Tokyo and Utah and South Africa. I think he went to Venice and said, look, I'm here in the canals of Venice and those are going to dry up soon. And the point of this show is to tell you that he's such a nervous Cleary and he's got so many sort of tendencies that border on OCD, that how can he make himself feel this uncomfortable by going to these crazy places that are so foreign to him? Tokyo? Come on. Although it's pretty cool what he did in Finland. But the entire show is about eight episodes. And in each episode, he wants you to be clear that I'm very uncomfortable. My tummy hurts. I've got butterflies. Look at how cool these people are. Look at how cool this place is. I happen to enjoy the show because I'm lucky and I've been everywhere other than the Maldives. So I got to see him experience something that I'd experienced. Then I looked at the Maldives episode and said, some people say Maldives, I say Maldives. Some people, you can look at a place where he filmed it and say, oh, I've never been there, I wanna go there. That was sort of the concept of Anthony Bourdain, except it was sort of food related and the concept of all these shows that bring you to all these places to tell you about all the things that you could do if you had the guts or the money to do it. Although, may I add that if you tell your spouse, significant other or friend that you don't travel because you can't afford it, I've stayed in hostels before. I've traveled Europe with a basically a backpack and a few shekels in my pocket it is doable. You can travel the Four Seasons way or you can travel the No Stars way. Going to see the world, I'm not sure there's anything more important than that than health. To give you an idea of what's out there, to make you realize that the majority of your life is spent within four square miles, and that is completely anecdotal, but I believe I'm correct. The Reluctant Traveler is worth watching for the sole reason it gets tired because of the gig of, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. But it's very important to see that it's not too late to get off your couch and go do something that makes you uncomfortable. Okay. You know what never made me uncomfortable? 
negotiating with government entities and with people who represented the government and with consultants who were hired by the government who were totally overpaid, who really didn't know much about what we were negotiating. None of that ever made me uncomfortable. I was very careful during our stadium negotiations in Miami to make sure that all public documents, and they were all public, the final documents that were all signed are all public, that there was very little left unsaid. We kicked the can on some issues like capital expenditures, no doubt. But in terms of the expectations of what they have to do and what we have to do, it was spelled out clearly. Because if you don't spell it out in a contract, then the other side is not going to do anything more than what is contained in the four corners of the document, and neither are you. And you don't want to be fighting with your government partner because it's expensive. You don't win in the court of public opinion. And it's A-A-F. It's annoying as beep. There are two instances right now where there are lawsuits going on. And there have been many, many, many of these instances. You've seen what the Arizona Diamondbacks are trying to do locally in Arizona because they want to figure out how to get a new stadium. You're seeing what the Arizona Coyotes are doing, who are suing the city of Phoenix right now for $2.3 billion. Coincidentally, the same amount of money that they want to spend to develop an entire new arena. If you have not gone to see the Coyotes play this year, then you're making a mistake. Although only, what's their total attendance? I guess their total attendance is like 200,000 people. How weird is that? 40 home games, 5,000 maximum. They're playing in like a college gym, 200,000 people. Even the lowest even the A's are going to outdraw that. That's funny. Anyway, the reason why the Coyotes are suing Phoenix, the reason why the 49ers are in a fight with Santa Clara right now is that once a stadium is built, what owners do through their head of operations and through their team presidents is they make it clear that they don't want to deal with the government entities anymore. Even when you are married to the person over a 30-year document, you try to shut them out. You try to do whatever you want to do and you make them catch you. You make the government entity, which is always underfunded, totally unorganized, and has greater things to think about than whether or not you are following the letter of the law of the contract that you signed. Are there opportunities for teams to take advantage of that? Yes. One example is happening right now in San Francisco, in Santa Clara. Santa Clara and the Niners are at odds. And the reason they're at odds is that there is an opportunity for Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara to host the World Cup in 2026, to be one of the host stadiums for the FIFA World Cup. In order to host a World Cup, you have to submit an RFP, you have to show FIFA why your stadium can host it. And then you have to pay as much money as possible under the table to the criminals of FIFA. All of that is true. You can't sue me. You can't try it. Go ahead, Brett Favre. Try to sue me for that statement. Go ahead. I, I triple dare you right now. Tell me that you're going to come after me for saying that FIFA takes bribes under the table. That'd be awesome. So in any case, Santa Clara, who is the city and the community where Levi Stadium is, they are saying that the 49ers are not being cooperative in terms of the documents that are required to fill out the RFP. 
And what made me laugh about that is, of course, they weren't being cooperative. What is it they need? So Santa Clara is considering this legal action because they claim that the Niners have not given them information that will help the city prepare to host the World Cup. Spoiler alert. If that is true, that means there's a reason the 49ers do not want that stadium to host the World Cup. The only reason they would not want the stadium to host the World Cup is that they think the field is going to be destroyed, if they want to be paid to resod the field, if they think the stadium should be used for something else during that time. And the way to cure that, wait for it, money. The split between Santa Clara and the Niners, whatever is in the document, obviously if Santa Clara so badly wants to host and the Niners are in charge, here's what you do. You offer them a bigger piece of the pie. You give them financial incentive. That is normally the easiest exit strategy from litigation, money. The easiest way to settle disputes, money. The easiest way to avoid disputes, money. It's not a coincidence. It's going to be fascinating. What happens with the Niners in Santa Clara? What happens with the lawsuit with Phoenix suing? All of these, all of these teams who are suing, all of these stadiums, governmental entities who are trying to sue, litigation is being used right now in sports in a way that is uh, pretty much matches the way litigation is being used around this country. And I have a proposal. And my proposal in order to cut litigation is that when you file suit, you automatically are responsible for attorney's fees of the person you are suing. Automatically. Even if you prevail, that prevailing would allow a judge or jury to take into account what the fees were and you can deduct what the award is. And I'm totally fine with that. But the reason why I want people paying their fees of defendants up front is that that would cut so many frivolous lawsuits, you would be shocked. Second thing I want to do, careful here, all the bar associations are going to be annoyed. No more contingency fees. A contingency fee lawsuit is what personal injury lawyers do. They say, hey, we're not charging you anything. We're just going to sue. And if we win, we'll take a third. We'll give you two thirds. Everyone's happy. If we don't win, you weren't getting any money anyway. You still get zero and we'll write off the time and we'll make our money from another different lawsuit. I want to get rid of contingency fees because I don't want lawyers to be allowed to go get people to sue when they've got no skin in the game. I want people who sue to have to pay attorney's fees of their own and of the person they're suing. And if you win, you get your money back. No problem. Anyway, I don't know where that came from, but I was pissed. All these lawsuits. We were a part of so many lawsuits. I had to spend, I bet you I spent, I'm going to think about this over almost two decades. I bet you I spent 5% of my time figuring out all the lawsuits and whether or not it made sense to settle or whether or not I was going to make an example of the person who was suing or whether I was going to fight to the to the death. And I had to go through the calculation, both 
fiscal calculation, also emotional calculation. Not that I was emotional about what to do, but the calculation of, is there a greater purpose for going through with this lawsuit? 5%. And I can't remember how many we lost. Not many. That doesn't, I don't mean that to be cocky. It just means that the lawsuits, hey, if you get hit by a foul ball, do me a favor. Get off your phone and pay attention. All right, we'll put nets up. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. Did you see the Braves beat the Padres? Is anyone willing to admit how good the Braves are? Are any of the Mets fans willing to admit that your chance of winning the National League East is close to zero? Not because it's mid-season or late in the season, but because I said the Braves were the best team in the National League, they're certainly playing like it now, and there's no reason to believe it's going to stop during the course of a summer. I do not see any team in the NL East catching the Braves. I don't see any team in the National League better than the Braves. I love the game of Braves over the Padres. I don't know who was favored in that game, Coca, but I do know we won it, so we're 48 and 49. The Padres with Blake Snell and their entire pitching rotation, even Darvish, they just don't have enough. People are going to be so despondent when the Padres don't win. All but 29 other teams. All right, I got three picks for you, three baseball picks. Get ready. The Cardinals are plus 140 against the Brewers, and we're taking it. Jack Flaherty had some problems with command, coming off an injury, trying to stay healthy, used to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. The Brewers have one of the best rotations in baseball. They are off to a very, very hot start in the Central Division. The Cardinals are not. The Cardinals are chasing the Brewers. The Cardinals are going to win that division. I'm sticking to that. I'm going to start with plus money. Cardinals over the Brewers tonight. Saturday, what happened to Jose Berrios? What happened? He got traded to the Blue Jays. He was so good on the Twins, traded the Blue Jays, signed a huge extension, and he's terrible. Absolutely terrible. The Angels are only minus 115 against Berrios and the Blue Jays on Saturday. We're taking them. We're going against the Blue Jays and Berrios every time until Berrios shows me that he can actually win a game. Angels over Berrios Saturday. Sunday's game. We've got the Philadelphia Phillies over the Cincinnati Reds. Walker's pitching, the newly acquired Walker. The Phillies are off to a terrible start. They can't hit. They can't pitch. They're giving up runs. They're losing games. I don't know what the record is, 2-4. and four. They were 0-4, and, and then they beat the Yankees. Maybe they're 1-5, and five, whatever it is. The Cincinnati Reds are brutal. I think I've got three wins for you. Cardinals over the Brewers Friday, Angels over the Blue Jays Saturday, and Phillies over the Reds on Sunday. All right. We are once again, three days in a row. I don't know if this is ever going to happen. We're talking about the Mavericks. On March 23rd of 2023, only two weeks ago, the Mavericks filed a protest. Do you remember that game when they lost to the Warriors by two? And there was the play underneath the basket where the Warriors inbounded the ball under their own basket and all the Mavericks were on the other side on offense and they should have been on defense. So the Mavericks got the ball. They scored, of course, because there were no defenders. The Mavericks then lost by two. Mark Cuban went crazy and protested. And I said to you on March 23rd, wait to see. The Mavericks are going to win that protest. I've never seen a play like that in sports. It's like in baseball, the pitcher throwing a pitch with no defenders behind him. It would never happen. Well, I promise you with wait to see is that sometimes I'm wrong, but I will revisit it. I'm okay to be wrong. 
all the other people on the air, they hate being wrong, so they just pretend they're not. Or when they give you their picks and they don't get them right, they ignore it. Or when they have a take that's ridiculous, they don't revisit it. Not me. I was wrong. The Mavs did not win their protest. And guess what the NBA said in their communication? Because it was awesome. They did an entire press release when they denied the Mavs protest. And I just want to give you two points that made me smile. Number one, Dallas was not able to show that it was deprived of a fair opportunity to win the game. And the protest failed on that basis alone. And the reason they said that is this basket took place with 14 minutes remaining in the game, which means it happened in the third period. And after it happened, Dallas actually had the lead twice in the final four minutes of the game. Therefore, giving up that basket did not impact the outcome of the game. That seems like horse hockey to me, doesn't it? Don't we all agree that the minute something happens, that everything that happens after that thing that happened happens as part of the reason because that thing happened? It's like Doc Brown's time continuum. Every decision you make, every breath you take, I'm not paying you, Sting. Sorry, P. Diddy. Every move you make obviously has an impact, like the butterfly effect, Ashton Kutcher and Amy Smart, the butterfly effect of everything you do. We agree with that. Let's pretend the Warriors didn't score those two points in the third quarter. Could that have changed the outcome of the game? Yes, it could have. It's not relevant that they came back to tie or take the lead later in the game. Maybe they would have blown it out and maybe they wouldn't have need to play the players the minutes they were going to play or had to play. Who knows what would have happened? That is a ridiculous reason not to grant the protest. But they led with that. Later in the review, they said this. Following the game, Mark Cuban posted on Twitter. I love the fact that they talk about Twitter. Posted on Twitter that the officials had originally awarded possession to Dallas on the play and then during the timeout changed the call. And that the Mavericks did not see them change the call during the timeout. That's what Mark Cuban said. What the NBA said is those public statements were inaccurate. And in its written submission in support of the protest, Dallas agreed that the referee signaled possession to Golden State. Uh Uh-oh. That'll do it. If the referee said it was Golden State ball and the Mavericks were not paying attention, wouldn't the Mavericks have realized that they were all on the wrong side of the court or all on one side of the court? And wouldn't they have called a timeout or said to the referees, hold on, there's something wrong, which is what I said in the beginning, though I still said the protest would be upheld because it was so ridiculous what happened. But it turns out everyone knew it was Golden State's ball. And then the NBA ended their statement denying the protest by saying, we've concluded that although the game officials could have taken steps to better manage this particular situation, that did not provide a basis for the extraordinary remedy of upholding a game protest. It is extraordinary because you'd have to play the entire game over again and there's no time. And the Mavericks could end up missing the playoffs by a game. And if that's the case, they're going to be plenty pissed off unless they're trying not to make the playoffs for that lottery protected pick. But that's also silly of the NBA to say. Of course, when there's a protest that's going on, it's going to have an impact. And of course, when a protest happens in baseball or basketball, 
It's because of the belief of one of the teams that the referees or the umpires have done something wrong. So if you've concluded that the game officials did not manage the situation correctly, and that mistake led to directly the outcome of a game changing, you uphold the protest. So the NBA had to say that the referees made a mistake, but it did not change the outcome of the game because the Mavericks had a chance to win. Does that mean if the Mavericks had never taken the lead throughout the course of the game, never had a chance to win after that, that they would have upheld the protest? No chance. They would not have. Then their statement would have read differently. And it would have focused on the fact that Golden State clearly had possession of the ball and the fact that the Mavericks were not paying attention was not our problem. What the NBA does is what MLB does. We all do the same thing. You take whatever facts are available to you and you maneuver and manipulate those facts to make sure that they lead to the conclusion you want to get to. It's like all the NFL investigations. You know where you're getting and you make up the route to get there. We'll be back Monday. You know why? Because there's going to be plenty to talk about. We're not going to get rained out. We're not going to pretend there's no content. Enjoy the home opener for the cities that missed the opportunity. Have fun in New York. Have fun in Baltimore. And remember, it's just business. Let's be safe out there. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.